Welcome to the Aroma of Christ podcast, brothers and sisters in Christ. I am Ryan Brown, the pastor of the Fostoria Baptist Church, and the hope behind this podcast is to do nothing in any way to replace regular gathering among God's people. It is for the sake of mutual encouragement of one another through the singing and preaching ministry that we gather. But if you do happen to miss a week and want to keep up in Matthew, or if you want to re-listen to a sermon because it was particularly impactful or particularly confusing, this podcast is available to you. And so we continue on the Aroma of Christ sermons from the pulpit of Fostoria Baptist Church. Our scripture reading today is Jonah chapter 1. The beginning of the familiar account of Jonah. It reads, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise! Call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. 
Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So after our scripture reading, Jonah does get spit out onto dry land, and he goes to Nineveh. There's a three days preaching trip through Nineveh, declaring that the city is going to be destroyed. And this is a summary of the response, particularly God's response to the people of Nineveh's repenting, mourning, weeping, crying over the fact that they are so sinful and turning from that sinfulness. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, through Jonah 4, 11, says this. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. But... It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head, to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smoked the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted 
and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Father, we ask for your grace today. We ask for your help to be able to greatly test our hearts in relationship to this passage, to think through the reality of where we are and to let it be a time for self-evaluation. May your spirit be doing that work of pricking our hearts and convicting us. May he be doing that work of drawing us in to be discerning of our motives, of our priorities, of our loves and interests. Father, help us. Help us to live truthfully in light of these words. Help us today to be transformed into the likeness of Christ by the renewing of our minds in this passage. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Jonah is certainly a lot worse than simply being a reluctant prophet. Even when he's given his second chance to go into Nineveh again, he performs what he's supposed to do. He preaches that the city is going to be destroyed, with it then the implied call for the city to repent that they might not be destroyed. And yet as he goes through it, the entire time, he's still wanting his preaching to fail. He's a prophet talking to the people of Nineveh, and he's upset that his preaching worked. He's upset that the same mercy extended to him could possibly be extended to anyone else. Jonah, prophet of the Lord, gets direct communication from the Spirit of the Lord, delivers God's message to the nations, as we see in this passage. As far as we know, is fairly well respected for it. And yet this is how he stumbles. 
And this is the last we know of where he is and his heart disposition and attitude. I'd like to look particularly at chapter 4 today. Look at Jonah's three emotional states and then look at the emotional state of Yahweh and his description of how he feels and how his emotions are in this situation. And so it begins, verses 1 to 4, with Jonah's anger at Yahweh's mercy. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? The end of chapter 3 shows God seeing the works of Nineveh, them turning from their evil way. And so he himself also turns from the evil that is the calamity that he was planning to do. The disaster is averted. And that situation of events then becomes a great evil to Jonah. It gets under his skin and makes him angry. The salvation of a whole city is causing him great emotional distress. What we should be able to write down and simply say amen to in regard to what has happened in chapter 3, verse 10, Jonah is sitting back and letting it be a cause of pain and anger. Matthew Henry points out, Would all the saints make matter of joy and praise? Jonah makes the subject of reflection upon God as if showing mercy were an imperfection of the divine nature, which is the greatest glory of it. It is to his sparing, pardoning mercy, we all owe it, that we are out of hell. Here's Matthew Henry thinking about these verses, thinking about Jonah's actions within them, and pointing out that he's making what is one of the greatest things about God. One of the things that he reveals to as being fundamental to his character in Exodus 34, that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, repenting of disaster. 
taking that thing which is our only hope in this life and Jonah's only hope in this life and making it to be an example of some imperfection he feels within God. He wants the Ninevites to be judged and judged severely. Perhaps there's a certain political element in regard to this. As a prophet of the Lord, Jonah certainly knows that Assyria is not just any old nation and enemy, but one that's already been prophesied to conquer Israel, take them into captivity. Perhaps there's a, a just flat out, this is an enemy and he's prejudiced against the enemies of Israel. Perhaps he's prejudiced against this city because he knows it brings destruction to his own home. But he's taking whatever the cause of that prejudice is and making it more important than the lives of the people present. The souls that are being lost if the city just is destroyed with no chance of repentance. And indeed, he gets pretty dramatic about it. He asks the Lord to kill him. He says it's better for him to die than to live in a world where Nineveh is not destroyed. So it is great indignation, anger to the point of death. The Lord then asks, doest thou well to be angry? Should you really be angry that I am kind? It's actually very similar to what we saw in the, um, in the parable of the vineyard. When all of the workers agreed at the beginning of the day for a denarius, a penny a day. And then the worker master kept going out into the vineyard to hire more workers. He didn't tell them what he would pay them, but at the end of the day, he starts at the last and gives a penny, a denarius to them. and works up to the first and they also receive a denarius and they wonder why they didn't get more. And the master's response is something along the lines of, why do you begrudge my generosity? Why do you dislike the fact that I am kind? Is your eye evil that I am good? So too, Jonah has his evil eye in regard to the goodness of the Lord toward Nineveh. But Jonah's emotional state is not only anger. In verses 5 to 6, it's joy. Joy at Yahweh's provision. You could even say joy at Yahweh's mercy. Verses 5 and 6. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, 
and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the Lord. Just as it was a great evil to him in verse 1, so now it is a great joy to him. An exceedingly grand situation that he finds himself in because there's a plant. Jonah doesn't respond to the Lord's question of whether he should be angry or not. But he goes out of the city. He sits to the east of the city. And he does the best that he can to make himself a shelter and a shade from the heat. And he's watching. He may not have answered the Lord in regard to whether he is right to be angry. But he's certainly acting as if he still wants to see the city destroyed. That regardless of the repentance and regardless of the fact that he has every reason to believe that his gracious God will pardon the city and spare it, he's still sitting, waiting, watching, hoping the Lord might not turn from the disaster and bring it upon Nineveh. And Yahweh prepares a plant. He appoints a little plant to come up. I guess it's not little at the point that it shadows over Jonah's head as he's sitting. At any rate, the plant comes, provides the shade in that situation, protects him, and Jonah becomes exceedingly Now, I, I think that the case of the situation of what the statement here, that it might be a shadow of his, over his head to deliver him from his grief. And that's an expression of Yahweh's decision, not necessarily to deliver him from the heat itself. It's not, it doesn't seem that it's just from discomfort. And I think the New English translation is right to suggest that the proper understanding of this is that the Lord is seeking to deliver him from his evil attitude. To, to give him a reason to recheck his priorities. As he gets exceedingly happy over mercy given to him and exceedingly happy over his own comfort and convenience as the plant comes and shades him. As he continues to hope for severe justice and wrath to come upon the people of Nineveh. And it seems that the Lord really wants to save him from that grief, continuing to expose his attitude and demeanor and expose his priorities as he comes into verses 7 to 9. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself 
to die. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Just as God appointed the plant, so God appoints the worm. Prepares the worm and sends it along the next day. And that worm destroys that gourd and destroys that plant. And so the sun rises with its heat. And indeed, the Lord also sent or prepared appointed a vehement east wind, this heavy, scorching, hot wind from the east, the sun's beating upon Jonah's head, and the shade having been removed, Jonah feels it. He's faint. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's struggling with all of the heat being poured upon him, and in that moment of discomfort, he again wishes for himself to die. Not only is it better for him to die than to live in a, in a world where Nineveh is not destroyed, so also it is, in his mind, better for him to die than to live in a world where the sun blares down upon him and he has no shade. Clearly, Claire's more about this plant than about the people of Nineveh, the people with eternal souls. And God again asks him whether he's right to be angry. At this time, Jonah is foolish enough to answer, I do well to be angry, even unto death. prophet of the Lord, angry enough to die because his plant providing him shade had perished. Caring more about the plant, caring more about his personal prejudice, caring more about his personal comfort than obedience to the Lord, than the Lord's grace and mercy, than the people Yesterday, while I was at my parents' house, I decided to, to borrow my dad's Virgin Study Bible and just read what notes were present for this passage. And this one stood out. Charles Spurgeon uh, preached, It is strange that such a good man as Jonah should fall into such a foolish state of mind. But 
God still has a great many unwise children. You can easily find one if you look in the right place. I mean, in a mirror. We are all foolish at times. Jonah is certainly acting with an awful lot of foolishness and putting his nationalism, his prejudice, his preferences, his convenience above worship, above obedience, and above the lives of the Ninevites. And we still do the same. We still struggle with having the proper evangelistic fervor that Jonah himself didn't have to want to share the gospel with our neighbors, to want to see greater opportunities. And we mentioned the Bahagos. They are Nigerian. They live in Nigeria. There's a certain element of life that's happening, though, and that the part of Nigeria they currently minister in used to be known as the safe part of Nigeria. The extremists and terrorists were all on the other part. And it's not becoming that simple in Nigeria anymore. Is that a, an opportunity for them to be in great emotional distress? No, well, possibly. Are they then in danger? Yes. Are these things to be belittled? No. We are to pray for them that they be safe. And it also creates opportunities. We as Americans spend a lot of money and send a lot of people to minister to those overseas. And then we can just as easily complain when they come to our country. Complain when a refugee crisis comes and they need to find a place within Fostoria and they don't even know the language English. Is it all bad? Or is it also then an opportunity for us to interact and spread the gospel with people whom we're trying to reach around the world? But now they're in our backyards. There are lives on the line, and there's obedience to the Lord. Let's make sure that those things and our priorities are always more significant than our own comforts and prejudices. Because Jonah's emotion may be anger at the Lord's mercy, but Yahweh's emotion is that of mercy and compassion. Pity for the people he created. Verses 10 and 11. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh? That great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle. 
In the account of Jonah, the Lord gets the final word. Jonah doesn't get a chance to respond. We don't know whether Jonah repents and is indeed saved from the calamity and the sickness within his own soul. Instead, we have the Lord's pressing question to Jonah becoming a pressing question to us. Should he not pity Nineveh? Should he not pity his creatures, the humans made in his image? The contrast is said in verse 10, as the Lord asks Jonah about his pity on the Lord. Rather, gives some information about the pity that he has for the plant. A little bit of regret over the fact that the plant is no more. Jonah didn't work for it. It came up of its own accord. Jonah has no skin in the game, as it were. He didn't plant it, he didn't sow it, he didn't water it, it just happened. There was no labor on his part. He did not make it grow. And it came in the night and perished in the night. Jonah didn't just not be involved in it. It was always designed to be temporary. It came in the night. It perished in the night. It wasn't very long-lasting. We have certain historical landmarks that we protect. You think that because they're old and connected to that part of history, it would be more of a shame if they perished. So we try to have them last for a more permanent reality. But beyond just that, what the Lord is hinting at and declaring is that unlike the plant and Jonah, the Lord did make humanity. The Lord did make those Ninevites and did labor for them and indeed did make them grow. The Lord, in his sovereignty, was providentially taking care of them every step along the way. And not only so, unlike the plant, the Ninevites aren't temporary. They came into being, but they will never cease from being. Each one of us has a time in which we were conceived and thus began. And each one of us has a time in which this physical form dies. But in our flesh, we will see God. Our souls do not die. And indeed, the bodies are resurrected. Some for eternal life. And some for eternal torment. Should he then not spare? Should he then not pity Nineveh, that great city? A city with six score, that is 120,000 persons, whom the Lord made and caused to grow, who are not just temporary existences, but eternal. 
who are particularly described as not being able to turn their right hand and their left. A state of all of us, really, when we don't have God's revelation. Should he not pity and spare them? Of course he did. Of course, that's still the reality and work that he's still doing. To pity us people who do not know our right hand from our left. To show compassion upon us and to reveal himself to us so that we can understand. That's why sent his son. Jesus, God's own son, adding to himself a human nature, living in the world of torment, dying, being tortured and humiliated, bearing our shame, bearing our sin, and offering that compassion offering us of his victory as he rises again. Believe in me and have life. Should not he pity Nineveh? It's almost another way of saying, should not he pity us? Should he not pity me? Should he not pity you? Should he not show compassion to his humanity who needs to turn from its evil way and come to believe in Jesus Christ? As Jonah quotes from Exodus in verse 2, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Father, I thank you for your help this morning. And I thank you for this passage. And I thank you for the fact that you do pity humanity. Help us, Lord, as we continue on Guide us, cause us to check our priorities, check what matters more to us, obedience to you and your worship among the nations, or our own priorities, preferences, and comforts. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? <laughs>